Well, good morning. Welcome to the cafeteria. But uh, I think the acoustics are a little better in here, which is nice. So uh, that's pretty good. But a lot of faces uh, new today. Welcome to everybody. Wish I could welcome all of you by name, but I would leave somebody out, and um, that would be sad. But welcome everyone uh, who is visiting. Uh, I, someone's names I do know are my parents. They're visiting here from the Dallas-Fort Worth Church of Christ. Mike and Janice are right here. So if you have any questions for them, <laughs> this is uh, your chance. But um, this is their chance, or your chance, to ask them some questions. But uh, welcome this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our summer theme, which is Compelled. Uh, and so as you can see here, Compelled, this is our summer theme, and we're going to be going through different topics in the Bible and uh, how we can be compelled to do these things. And so part of that is compelled is all about motivation. And so we have the diagram up here. The word compelled in 2 Corinthians 5.14 in the original language has to do with everything being held together. So our theme kind of for the summer is the sun and how the sun, because of its mass, is able to hold the entire solar system together. Everything is drawn to it. Everything is about the sun. It is in that way compelled to orbit the sun. Nothing the earth does. Simply all about the sun. And so we're looking about looking at those things all summer. Today's theme and this week's topic is compelled to humble yourself. And so that's our lesson today. I'll have a different title. That's kind of a... The title given, I was just given that title by me, but six weeks ago, uh, but I have a different one coming up soon. So that's kind of the general title and then we'll have another one uh, coming up in a second. And uh, we're going to be in First Peter 5 for our passage. And I have a balloon there for our visual as we'll see as that becomes clear uh, in a moment. But hop over to First Peter chapter 5 and we'll read, it, read a passage about what it really means to humble yourself. Uh, what does it really mean to even be humble? Have you heard that word before? Sometimes athletes use it after they, if they use it in kind of a funny way sometimes. They win a championship and they go, I'm so humble, so humbled. Uh, and I'm not really sure what they mean. I guess like uh, they're trying to maintain perspective, I guess, in that moment of just sure adrenaline and, and thrill, not to get too big for their britches. But I'm just kind of, I'm so humbled. And they're out there kind of remind themselves. But what does it really mean to be humble? It's kind of a, it doesn't have a great connotation. It's not a word that secular society honors today. There's a lot of things in Christianity that your school backs up. Okay? Anger, violence, your school, everything uh, in our, uh, our workplace, they back up these, these ideas, these worldviews. But some, not so much. And humility is one of those things. Humility is one of the things that the world uh, doesn't necessarily honor now, and it didn't honor then either. When the uh, New Testament's written, we have a guy named Josephus. He's a Jewish historian, and in his work, Jewish Wars, he talks about how humility is not one of the most uh, attractive virtues. You know, patience, love, faith, forgiveness. These are all attractive, and these are all good. But humility, he says, actually is contemptible. It's actually, it should be reserved for the slaves, the servants, the servants, the slaves, they are the ones who should be humble. But if you want to really make something of yourself in this world, you've got to actually be high-minded. You've got to actually elevate yourself. You've got to be independent. You've got to be strong. All contrasting thoughts and viewpoints, apparently, in regard to humility. There's another Greek guy. He's not even Jewish. He's a Greek guy named Epictetus. And he, he also sees humility the same way. 
He says, man, that's only reserved for the slaves. You want to be humble? You're not going to go anywhere in this life. Uh, humility really quite literally means lowness of mind. It means to lower yourself. It means uh, to bring yourself low is kind of the, the, the definition of what it really means to be humble. Uh, but this is a very scary one because you're not going to find any kind of reinforcement for this one in the world. If I happen to do a poor job encouraging you not to um, hit your wife, uh, no worries because the rest of our culture backs me up on that one. You're going to get that at school. You're going to get it at work. Uh, we have everything that surrounds us backs that up. But if, God forbid, we don't really do a good job of preaching humility in the church, you're probably not going to get that at school. Your teacher's not going to reinforce that. And say, hey, great A, but stay humble. Great job on, the, on, on your work, but stay Stay humble. They're probably going to say, no, this was a good A, but next time another test is coming around the corner. Another performance review is coming up. You've got to be ready for that one. And if you really want to make something of yourself in this world, you've got to work hard. You've got to be independent. You've got to isolate yourself. And so it's a really interesting thing. And what, what is very scary is that you can have every virtue in the world, but be devoid of humility. You can have every virtue. You can be so loving and faithful and forgiving and patient and kind but still be filled with fear, but still be driven by fear, by pride. Now, make no mistake, pride and fear are almost indistinguishable. Insecurity. Some of the people who are most successful in the world, as we'll see in a second, they have these great things they do, but they're driven by pride. They're, they're full of fear. And so this is a really fascinating topic. Uh, and actually, when Paul talks about it, we're gonna, I'm just going to show a slide. Don't turn there. We'll stay in 1 Peter 5. But when Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, he says something really interesting. Take notice. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. He's talking to the church in Corinth. Okay, Brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of over against one another. He does something interesting in this passage. He doesn't use the normal word for pride, which is hubris. You probably heard the word hubris. He doesn't use a word for pride here, hubris. He uses the word physiao, which is don't get puffed up. Don't get swollen. Don't get engorged. Don't get distended. Don't get too big for your britches here. Don't get swollen. You ever had a, ever had a pimple? <laughs> I got, I got two right here. They won't go away. I used to have uh, eh, moderate acne when I was in high school and elementary school. Uh, not elementary school, that's early. Early onset acne. Uh, no, middle school and then high school. Uh, but uh, one of the worst things with acne, especially when you're an adolescent, you guys can back me up on this, adolescents in the room, uh, is you're constantly aware of it, right? Yeah. Go to school, and that's like the only thing on your mind. You're aware of like the exact location of that pimple or several pimples. And what was worse was playing football. I had pimples right here and here. And so you had the, you know, the helmet. Every time you hit somebody, every time, it's like, ow, it hurts so bad. But even not in football, you're constantly aware. And when something is inflated or engorged or swollen, it's several things. It's empty. Uh, it's fragile. And it's painful. Uh, first of all, it's empty. There's, it's like a balloon, okay? Something that's swollen, puffed up, something that's prideful. When you are prideful, when you are arrogant, you get too big for yourself, 
you consider yourself more highly than you ought, you, you're empty. You're, you're trying to fill yourself with things that don't really fill you. And uh, we'll talk about that more. And the, one of the ways the world tries to deal with this, this is evidence in education. It's evident in our uh, uh, incarceration system. It's evident in counseling. Is the idea that the real problem with um, misbehavior in our world is low self-esteem. And so if I can simply get you to have higher self-esteem, everything will go away. All your problems will go away. That's the problem with this dysfunctional student. This misbehaved student, they just need more self-esteem. That's the issue. They need to know that who cares what the world thinks of them. It only matters what they think of them. So that's kind of that's the problem with anybody. The reason they misbehave, the reason they uh, act out, the reason they struggle is because you just need more self-esteem. Now, traditional cultures, uh, modern ones say that. Traditional cultures were the opposite. And some traditional cultures in our world still do this. They believe the problem is with the world is that you have too much self-esteem. You're getting too proud, too arrogant, and that's when you start to really hurt people. And, you know, there's a woman named Slater, and she wrote in the New York Times a number of years ago that the problem with the world is not low self-esteem people because low self-esteem people don't actually tend to hurt others. High self-esteem people do because they, don't, they think they can act outside the law. They think it doesn't matter what others think. I can do what I want. It doesn't matter what people tell me. I will do what I want. High self-esteem. I am someone who was and can still struggle to be a high self-esteem person. And what that led me to be in my nature was arrogant. And it was easy for me to write off what people said about me or I didn't care what people said about me or you're hurting me. I just wrote them off as weak. If I made a mistake, they just couldn't handle it. You know, if, 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 I, if I did something I could have done better, well, get out of my way because I'm aiming for big stuff here. I don't need you. I don't, I don't ever need you. I'm going to get what I want by hard work, by charisma, by ability, because all it takes is, is me and my standards. I don't care about yours. And I hurt a lot of people. I broke a lot of friendships, friendships that, I've, you know, with, with grace and favor, have tried, with the help of God, tried to mend. But I've hurt a lot of people. And that's me as a high self-esteem person. But either way, whether you're feeling inflated this morning or deflated, if you're feeling deflated, all that means is that you were once inflated. So either way, the balloon applies to you, amen? But the thing is about physio, what Paul says, it's puffed up, it's empty, it's fragile. When we're prideful, we're fragile. The littlest things hurt us. And we love to use the phrase, you hurt my feelings. Tim Keller says in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, he says, there's nothing wrong with your feelings. Your feelings weren't hurt. Your ego was hurt. Your pride was hurt. Your sense of self was abridged. That's why you're struggling now. Not because your feelings haven't changed. Your feelings are fine. Your ego is fragile. You get snubbed, you can't handle it. You can't, you go to bed thinking about it, about how angry you are about someone who snubbed you, someone who hurt you. It's fragile. Someone who's prideful is fragile. The littlest thing they can't get past. They can't forgive. Pride, physiology, this inflation stops you from forgiving. Do you have trouble forgiving? Do you not let things go? You know, this is when we are when we are this way, when we are puffed up, we are fragile. We were at a surprise birthday party for Chanel a few weeks ago, and I remember there were balloons there. Maybe it was a little longer than a few weeks ago, I can't remember. But all the kids just kept popping the balloons. <laughs> 
kept popping them, and it was so fun, and it was pretty easy. You know, little CJ uh, and, and Sophia, what do they weigh? You know, like 15 pounds? That's not, that's not. not much. They're, they're little, but they're just popping balloons. It was easy. You know, balloons are fragile. Things that are puffed up, things that are swollen, easily burstable. Uh, you know, they're painful. We talked about something that is, you ever realize there's something on your body, you don't really notice it till it's in pain? Like, I didn't even know I had that part down there. And now I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. It hurts all the time. Something that is in pain draws attention to itself. Okay? Our egos are constantly drawing attention to themselves. What about me? That hurt my feelings. Our whole world, we see it as, as it affects us and our sense of self. How we view it, everything affects us. Everything hurts, it hurts our feelings or hurts our ego, pricks our ego. And let it, let it be clear, the low self-esteem, high self-esteem, either way, is not going to fix it. The answer is not, like traditional cultures, if you, were, if you were acting out, they would clamp down on you. Stop it. You're wrong. Stay in the house. Women don't do that. Men don't act like that. Stop it. Conform. You're dumb. You're stupid. Right? You need lower self-esteem and you'll do better. Now it's, you're amazing. You just need to have a hobby. You're incredible. If you could just realize that nobody, no, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. It only matters what you think on the inside. That's what matters. Your standards matter. No one else's. Then you'll be happy. But here's the thing. You won't. You won't be happy. In the magazine Vogue a few years ago, I don't read Vogue. Sure you know. Sounds defensive, doesn't it? <laughs> Fragile. <laughs> Easily poppable. Uh, Madonna talks about this. Madonna actually writes... Uh, Madonna used to be a singer, Conrad. She's a popular singer. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Lady Gaga today. So. Uh, this is what she says. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. You can kind of get a sense of what she's saying there is, I have to constantly prove. And guess what? The answer is not my standards matter and yours don't. Because you're not going to measure up to your own standards. Right. Even Madonna's like, I, I keep setting standards for myself. Then I meet them. Guess what? It makes me feel good for like a day. And then I got to do something else. Then I got to get a new job. I got to get a new promotion, a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, a new marriage. I got to get new stuff. Then I'll actually feel accomplished. But here's the thing, you'll never, ever, ever be able, a balloon's empty. They'll never be filled with those things. High self-esteem, low self-esteem. These things will never fill. Now we can read our verse, 1 Peter 5. <laughs> you think, what kind of church is this? You're not even going to read the verse. 1 Peter 5. It's cool how much God worked uh, with the service today. 2 Peter from Jesse. And then... Uh, Will and Lindsay shared a bit of this, actually, about you know, this exact same thing we're talking about, having to keep meeting these standards and you know, beating ourselves up. Will was saying, I, I beat myself up you know, if I don't achieve the standard that I believe I should achieve. 
It's Will sharing what we all feel. We beat ourselves up or we try to push it away and hide it. Come on, bro. And try to make ourselves feel better. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit to your elders. All of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I have struggled more in my walk with God with the, the, the notion of pride and humility more than any other notion. How can we actually be humble? Peter takes a verse here from Proverbs and he expounds on it. That's why it's in quotes. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think about half the times I get in a discipling time with any of you, I use this verse. Some of you may know that. Because it's just so against our normal thinking. We don't think about pride. We make massive life decisions with no help, with no advice, with no concern for others. Because we live, live in a world, from, we are made from kith and kin of this idea of we don't need them, it's just about us. I don't need your advice. What if you're wrong? What if you're trying to take advantage of me? What if it's just all about me? But God, God says here, Scripture says, God opposes the proud, the prideful, the swollen, the balloons of the world. He opposes them. But he gives grace. He shows favor to the humble. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the entire world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And the God of all, there it is again, grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The title of my lesson this morning is Christ Esteemed. Because we are all at risk of this right here. Boom, baby. That animation was worth it. I I think you all agree. Oh, you missed it. Come on, do it again. I can't go back. There, there was. I didn't, I didn't get the whoa that I was kind of imagining was going to. Ah! He's painted the picture for me. 1 Peter 5. You know, increasing our self esteem or decreasing our self esteem is not the solution. Traditional culture, modern culture, we've got to realize that our culture doesn't have answers for any of this. Paul says, overinflated, swollen, distended. It's painful and fragile. When we are puffed up, we are, we are, it's painful. We're constantly aware of our ego. We're constantly bringing things back to ourselves. And this is a huge problem in our church and in churches across the world, is pride. Because pride, by, by its nature, you, you can't see it yourself. I can see my sexual impurity. I can see my lack of forgiveness. I can see my impatience, my anger. I can see my frustration with people. I can't see my pride. Now that's dangerous. 
You know what I need? You know, you know how the only way I'll know my pride exists? You guys. The only way. And the Holy Spirit can work through the scriptures and maybe one morning. But even still, we have a lot of scriptures on self-deceit. Yeah. Who, was, who, were the, uh, who was Jesus challenging in the verse that Will read for contribution? People who read the scriptures every day. They needed Jesus to say, uh, hello, just because you're doing all these things, you're missing that you're prideful. Who cares if you're doing it? You're arrogant. You think you're something because of your performance. The whole world does this. Far be it from us to let us do this in the Christian church. The whole world says standard first, performance, then verdict. Don't let that be that way for us because Jesus didn't come for that. Christ esteemed is the only way we're going to be able to actually be filled, to be secure, to be confident, but also be humble. That's an amazing balance. Confidence and humility. It's amazing. But it only happens with Jesus. And you know what the passage here says is the accuser's coming. It says your adversary, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for someone to take out. And he cannot take you if you've repented and been baptized he cannot snatch you from God's hand. Amen. amen. Let's get, I get a better amen to that. He cannot snatch you from God's hand. Amen. amen. We are in there. We are good to go. We are protected. John 10. He cannot touch you if you are a disciple this morning. That's amazing. Let that sink in, okay? Because I don't think we know that one too well. But what Satan can do, what does it say? It says, cast your anxieties on God. What's Satan going to go after? Your anxieties. Your, the word there literally is distractions. What are your anxieties this morning? What is distracting you right now? What are you thinking about? What are you distracted by? What are you concerned about? Family issues, money, finances, something you have to do after service, errands you got to run. What's distracting you? Some sin you haven't confessed, insecurity, lack of meeting a standard of somebody else or your own. What's distracting you? Because that's where Satan's going to go. He's going to camp in your fears. He's going to camp in your anxieties. And I, don't th- I think we, we've, we talk a lot about getting advice as a church, and I think you guys are aware of that as a challenge. I don't think we talk enough about fear being pride. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, myself included, we can get fear-driven. We get driven by insecurity and fear of, I've got to do this because I'm afraid of what the consequences might be if I don't. I've got, and, and we don't confess fear. We don't confess fear. I'll say, I gotta confess, I'm doing all this out of fear. Why are you making this decision? Because it makes sense, it's logical, it's pragmatic. But is it out of faith or is it out of fear? But it makes sense, and we're gonna make money in this investment. It's gonna be helpful for the boys, for the kids, for my daughter. It makes sense. Okay, but is it out of faith or fear? And we can make so many decisions out of fear. We're driven by fear. And Satan will just wait and wait and wait and wait and he'll, he'll pounce, he'll strike. When does he, it says he tempts Jesus, right, in Matthew 4. Then it says he leaves and waits for an opportune time. When is that opportune time? At the cross. Why is it opportune? This is a chance for him to attack Jesus' potential fears. Lord, take this cup from me. I don't really want to go to the cross. Satan works and breeds. He's the adversary. It says adversary. He's an accuser. Basically, he's a prosecutor. Imagine a court of law. He's coming into the court of law with all these accusations against you. Church, I think we should be aware that our greatest enemy 
is not out there. He's in your very self. Yeah. That's correct. Your greatest enemy is not the government. It's not your leaders. It's not your family. It's not somebody else's fault. It is Satan. He's the real enemy. He's at work in all these things. And amen, could things be better? Yes, we can help the world. We can help the community. We can help our neighbors. Yes, 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 yes. But sometimes we vilify other people. We don't take a good hard look at Satan. It's it's Satan. He's the real enemy. Sometimes we just got to remind each other of that. Hey, sister, remember Satan's the real enemy here. Hey, brother, Satan, no, it's me. I blew it. I messed up. I, I should have been there. We talked. I should, have, I should have been on time, and I wasn't. I got angry. It's me. I, I messed up. I know the real enemy is Satan. We cannot forget that he prowls around like a roaring lion. But here's the thing. You know what's beautiful about this passage? I love it. Throw your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Throw your distractions on God. It's literally throw. I thought about a cool family devo for this one. Go to a lake. And then talk about what is uh, worrying you. And then cast that on God, man. Throw it. Throw that rock in there. Skip it if you want. But cast those anxieties on God. Let's go, Jenny. Where's she at? We're going to the pond. We're going to do this one as a family. But cast those on God. But you know what's amazing? Hop over to to John 13. John chapter 13. Five more minutes. We're going to wrap up with this. Do you notice that in this passage here, Peter says, humble yourself. A lot of times we say, man, I got humbled. God humbled me. We like to wait for God to go ahead and do it. But do we say, I'm going to actually actively obey this command. I'm going to humble myself. Now, humility is not a passive resignation. It's not a self-abandonment of, oh, I guess I'm nobody. I'm nothing. Uh, woe is me, ah oh, shucks, you know, I'm no good. It's not that. It's not that. It's this right here in John 13. Peter says, uh, clothe yourselves with humility. In the passage we just read, he uses a very specific word in Greek. It's gird yourself with the cloth of humility. Let's read John 13 verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil, there he is, the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. This passage says that Jesus set an example for them. When Peter says, Gird yourself with humility, gird was to wrap the apron around your waist, the towel, to begin to serve. It was what slaves did. It was what servants did. And so when Peter says, gird yourself with humility, clothe yourself with humility, he's saying, I remember Jesus doing this for me. And I love that he's probably remembering this night as he writes 1 Peter. Clothe yourself with humility. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. No other author in the New Testament 
nope. besides uh, uh, James, mentions this idea of if, you're, if you raise yourself up, you'll be humbled. If you humble, you'll be exalted. Who said that a bunch? Jesus. This whole passage is filled with Peter memories of Jesus. He said this. He said to lower yourself. He said to humble yourself. In fact, he girded himself. He got a towel, and man, I didn't want to do it because I was like, this is not right. But Peter has the same mindset you have. That's not, that's not what a leader should do. A leader should be strong. A leader should hang in there. A leader should not have problems and not confess and not be vulnerable. Jesus says not, I realize that God put everything under my power. I'm still going to serve you. I realize that God has allowed me at any point to get out of here, to not die for you, to not love you. But I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be the substitute for you. And church, the only person in the whole universe whose opinion matters thinks you are more valuable than diamonds. Come on, bro. He thinks you are more valuable than anything in the world that God did not consider his son too steep a price to pay for you. Yet we struggle so much with what each other thinks about us, what we think about ourselves. Let's not have self-esteem high or low. Let's have Christ's esteem. Let's get our identity from Christ, from the gospel. C.S. Lewis says that if you talk to somebody who's truly humble, that you'll know it because the whole time, uh, it won't be because they're like, I'm the worst, I'm no good, I struggle all the time, just so you know, I really struggle a lot. You know, we do this sometimes when we come up here and speak, right? We get insecure. So we go, I'm going to give the welcome, but I'm I sure I'm no good. I just want all of you to know I'm no good. And I just make sure you know that I sin a lot. And hey man, I, we, we know you sin a lot. We're aware. But like, you know, we don't, we don't need you to do that because it's just it's self-deprecates. It's like, it's, right. no, it's, here's the thing. We don't get all that from, from ourselves or from the world. We need to get it from Jesus. Because Jesus actually provides that perfect performance that the balloon cannot be filled with anything in this world. It's a God-shaped hole in your heart. C.S. Lewis says it won't be because they're doing that. It'll be because they'll take an excessive interest in you. The whole conversation, they'll be asking questions about you. They'll be concerned. They won't be distracted by things about them. They'll be focused on you. That's challenging. A gospel humble person gets their identity from Jesus. It won't matter. A good litmus test to know if you, if you have a, a struggle with egotism and pride. How do you take criticism? Does it destroy you? Criticism, we don't take criticism well because our egos are fragile. And if someone says, hey, Drew, that lesson could have been better, and I, and I disappear for two weeks, I'm getting way too much esteem out of my performance. You say, brother, man, I really appreciate you being here, but, you know, you're 20 minutes late again. If that destroys you, or if you say, amen, bro, I'm sorry, if you get your identity from Christ, you'll be able to hear that pretty well. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I'm sorry. I want to do better. We're just running late. Let me fill you in on kind of what happened, but I hear what you're saying, bro. I love you. It'll be okay. When we're humble, we can have really deep and vulnerable and truthful conversations. But when we're egotistical and sensitive and we're all balloons popping around the room, no one wants to say anything or do anything, and then we have to go through eight years of, of therapy to forgive each other. Right? That's okay. Go to Ryan. He's going to be, it's okay. Go to Ryan. Not anti-therapy, okay? Amen. But the thing is, we got it, we got it. But the goal for us is, is that when you're truly gospel humble, 
Criticism won't tear you down, but compliments won't send you soaring. That's beautiful. How can you actually get a compliment and say, amen, I hear you, I appreciate that God was able to use me, but it's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's about Christ. You know, for, for us, church, when we really see Jesus, who cares? When you really see Jesus, who cares if you've been snubbed? Who cares if you could have done a better job here or there? Who cares if you messed up? We want to we do our best for Jesus and humble ourselves, but not because of performance. You'll never be able to humble yourself out of performance motivation. It'll just be legalism. It'll be awkward. We've got to humble ourselves out of, out of seeing Jesus because he, he humbled himself first. He had the power to not die. He was well within his rights to not love you. He chose to love you. It is well within your rights to issue revenge on that person. But what are you going to do? What is your right? It's well within your rights to say that mean thing out of fear or anger, to avoid them. But will you be driven by the world and will you be a balloon? You know, or will you be anchored by Christ? Will you be connected? Will you feel Confirm the end of the first Peter passage, it says God's going to confirm, establish, and restore you. You'll be okay. You won't just be okay. You'll be zooming. You'll be flying. And nothing will matter. A couple of questions for you in case you're really struggling with this idea of am I prideful? Am I a balloon? Am I, I don't know. How do I see my fear? I think we've got to get in some conversations after this and draw out some things. And we've got to be okay with going to certain places. We've got to have grace with each other. Okay? It's hard enough to be honest with each other. We, we don't want to make it that much harder by reacting. Yeah. You know, but have you ever asked the question, hey, how can I be a better friend? Come on, bro. Have you asked that question? Humility is about vulnerability. It's opening yourself up. You don't have to try to protect yourself when Jesus is your protection. Come on. How about the question, can you help me be better at quiet times? Can you help me really get deeper? You do a great job. Can you help me can you teach me how to share my faith? Can you teach me how, how to really be forgiving? I'm struggling with it. Have we asked these questions to each other? Even just people that you are supposed to be getting discipling from, do you ask them questions? Are we controlled by our fear? Does pride stop us from forgiving? You know, the amazing thing about Christ is that it was, it was a sham. Everyone gave up on him. Everyone heard him. It was a it was a false court, false testimony. He was, he was killed for basically being perfect. But he decided that love for you was worth it. And that's an encouraging thought. You know, church, it's not a resignation humility. It's not a self-abandonment. It's a positive, active, and trusting of ourselves to Jesus. Let it not be that this church is full of balloons, full of prideful, puffed up people. Because we already have an adversary in the devil. Yeah. I don't want another adversary. Amen. I don't want to have God oppose me too. I don't, God forbid that the youth and family ministry is full of pride because that, you don't want God to oppose what the family ministry does. Right. You know what's beautiful about humility? Who cares what the youth and family ministry does? If they meet Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, it doesn't matter who does this or who does that. It doesn't matter who's in charge of snack. If they're humble, God shows grace to it. That's awesome. But if we're prideful, even if it's the right choice and you're prideful, God will oppose it. And we don't want that. We don't want that. We want to be able to actually see God give us grace. 
As we close out today and think about what it means to be Christ esteemed, we're going to sing a song. Singers can go ahead and walk on up. We're going to have a song called Humble Yourselves in the Sight of the Lord. And I pray that as we sing this song, let's think about the words, let's, let's kick out any distractions, and let's be in some grace-filled conversations after church to really be a church that's known for humility. But let it not be that, that God opposes us because of pride or arrogance or being puffed up. Amen. Amen. And to God be the glory.